Welcome everybody back into Down the Line. As always, I'm your host Carson Breber, and we are officially very near to the end of the tennis season. In fact, we have begun our last tournament as the Tour Finals in London started today. And so I'm going to be talking about that, but instead of doing a traditional preview, because the tournament has actually already started, we had Rublev versus Rafa, and we also had Team versus Sitsipas today. I'm going to take this opportunity to, yes, make some predictions, but more so to reflect on really what has this year been like for each of the guys who will be playing in London, and then also talk about what they have to gain from this final tournament. So we're going to be doing that basically through the three-word game. I'm going to take each of these guys, I'm going to use three words to describe what their 2020 has been, and then of course I will elaborate. Although I could do it in a way where I literally just say those three words and leave it up to your interpretation, which might be an interesting exercise for another show, but not today. Let's start with the guy who's arguably the most surprising member of this bunch, but probably not when you consider who's one spot ahead of him. Diego Schwartzman will be taking place in London. He's ranked world number nine, but of course Federer will not be there due to injury. The three words for him, one hell of a finish, because this was a fascinating year for Diego Schwartzman. For much of the year, he was pretty pedestrian. It was comparable to what he's done over the previous few seasons, if not inferior, honestly, until Rome, he was... Ranked world number 15 at the start of that tournament. He had an 11-8 and record on the year. He had just lost in the first round of the U.S. Open and had had some pretty underwhelming results and then played at the highest level that I've ever seen from him, both on clay, of course, where he beats Rafa, then he goes to the French, he beats Dominic Team, he hangs with Rafa in a tough three sets, and then he continued it to Cologne, where he played at a really high level and made the final there, losing to Alexander Zverev. So when you talk about... His ability to attack, taking balls on the rise at his size, I think that he did better than he's ever done before in these couple tournaments. And then also obviously playing high-level defense as always, it was just really incredible stuff from him that I certainly did not expect from a 28-year-old because we normally don't have the breakthroughs. We have our Yanko Tipseroviches, we have even our Stan Vavrinkas who break through in their mid-20s or whatever, and Schwartzman isn't quite in that tier, although he was a late starter to begin with, but he's been around as a top-20 guy, but this was a level that we haven't seen from him beating this caliber of players doing it repeatedly where it's not just a fluke thing. And yes, we're never going to bet on him to beat Rafa again in an individual match, but he did pick up other real quality wins in a convincing fashion. But what he has to gain in London is proving that he can hang and proving that he can sustain that level. And that it wasn't just a fluke run over a few tournaments because over his career, and we have a very large sample size on what Diego Schwartzman really is. He's nine and 32 versus top 10 guys. Even within the season, which has been so impressive, he's just two and seven versus his top 10 compatriots. So, when you're talking about a 28-year-old who is obviously underwhelming physically, doesn't have those kind of weapons that pop off the screen at you, you will assume that this level, when it is only over a very short period of time, is a little bit fluky. It's not like a guy like Medvedev who had this meteoric ascent and so it was also over a longer period of time. It was more dominant, but still, not every comparison can be perfect where you say, okay, there are real things that I can see being sustained there, or Rublev, who has had this incredible breakthrough this season, or any num any other number of young guys who have really had those convincing breakthroughs. It's different when it's a 28-year-old 5'7 guy who we've seen around tour and we haven't seen beat these top guys historically. So, if he does in London, which I am not really inclined to believe he will do because he has a pretty tough draw when you're talking about playing Djokovic, Medvedev, and Zverev indoors, that is not going to favor him ever. Maybe he loses all three matches, and maybe he doesn't sustain this level going into next year, but he has a chance to prove himself as a worthy competitor for all of these guys and that he really belongs here. Speaking of guys with the chance to really prove that they belong, we have another newcomer in London who I think has been more impressive, more convincing, and shown more promise than Schwartzman for the entire year, and that is Andre Rublev, 
who to me, the three words to describe his 2020 season would be a stunning ascent because for him to be sitting here now after a loss to Rafa Nadal at 40 and nine, three and four versus the top 10, which is a very solid record with five titles on the year, his consistency has been basically unrivaled on tour this year. And it's in both his play style and it's in his results. Now, maybe his consistency on the court isn't truly unrivaled, but when you compare it to what he has been, where he's been a little bit of that untamed Mustang, such tremendous talent and power, but he couldn't rein it together previously. That's no longer the case. And he doesn't beat himself from the ground. And if you look at his serve as well, he's become more consistent there. It's incredible actually compared to last year. In 2020, he had 73 double faults over his first 48 matches versus last year, he only played 57 matches and had 166. So it's over double the amount in only a few more matches. And he also has 63 more aces this year. So we've seen his serve improve as far as consistency. And that wasn't really the case today against Rafa. And maybe nerves played a fact in that, but he wasn't really serving consistently. But he has been throughout this season and he's been better from the ground on both ends. But I also talk about the consistency of results. And this is where I think he's truly unmatched. He hasn't lost to one guy outside the top 40 all year. He's made the quarters in nine of his 13 tournaments, obviously has won five of them, and has lost first round once. And that obviously blows anything that Tsitsipas or Zverev or even team has done out, out of the water as far as just always being in there in the second week of a tournament or in the last couple rounds if it's a shorter tournament than that. He's always been there this year, and it's been incredibly impressive to see from a guy who certainly was not in that tier previously. So... I've raved about him all year long. I think he's so talented, and I think that he is truly a potential slam champion down the road. What can he gain in London? I think this is an incredible opportunity to add an exclamation point to a fantastic year and to prove that he can hang with the top guys mentally because whereas Schwartzman is a bit of a mental giant and is an incredible competitor, and I think that we see that energy and that fire and that toughness in him every time out, Rublev has this tremendous talent, but... He talked about it after his loss to Rafa. He said that he was a little bit nervous and he doesn't have that same experience playing against the top guys. It's interesting. He actually said that he doesn't practice with the other top guys as many of his as much as many of his peers do. So maybe there's still a little bit of a mental disadvantage there and a little bit of an off factor. And even against a guy like Daniil Medvedev, who is pretty much a peer of his, but is a little bit more of an established star, I think that we saw when they played in the US Open, it looked like Rublev wasn't quite quite ready for that moment. So He's improved there. He's beating these top guys more, but there is never a better opportunity to show that than when you have all of the top eight players in the world collected in one tournament. Now, his opportunity to actually make something happen in London just got a lot slimmer because obviously he lost to Rafa, although that was the presumed result. But I still think that he can totally beat Dominic Team and Stefano Tsitsipas. And then even if he just gets to the semifinals, you're not expecting him to go out there and win this tournament, although some guys have really punctuated their arrival as a top guy on tour with a title in London, like we just saw Stefano Tsitsipas do last year. I'm not going to expect that from him, but if he's in the semis, he is undeniably arrived. I think he has to be acknowledged in the same tier as the rest of these young guys, like a Zverev or a Tsitsipas or a Medvedev. And honestly, if you aren't already doing that, I think you're selling him short, and I think that you are demanding a larger sample size than you really need to evaluate someone's talent because this guy is special. He's been more consistent th than them. I think that he has better tools, and I think that he has a higher ceiling long-term. And I've talked about that before, but I really think that highly of him. This is a chance to show it. If he doesn't grasp it, maybe it's mental. We'll have to evaluate and look back after it's all said and done, but this is a real opportunity for him. Let's move on to world number seven, Alexander Zverev, who has had one wild year, and those could be the three words that I use to describe what his 2020 has been like, but instead, we will pose a question. Where's he going? Because 
This was an opportunity for Zverev to take a leap back to where he had been in 2017 and 2018, and instead, maybe he didn't regress, but he certainly didn't move forward. And now he's sitting there at 23 years old. He's going to end the year probably ranked world number seven, which would be the same as last year, down from world number four in 2017 and 2018. A solid season, 27-9, and nine, two titles, really has picked that up lately, was unimpressive for much of the year, except for in the slams, but even there, I think that you see missed opportunities remain the theme. Of course, mentally, he has so far to go. Nearly six double faults per match just blows the other top guys out of the water. Think about Rublev. Rublev is at basically one and a half, and with Zverev's height and pure serving ability, there is no reason for that to be the case. His second serve is broken, and if they don't fix it going into next year, then I don't know when that's going to get better. And it's probably gotten a little bit better throughout the season, but still not where you want it to be. And I think that relates, obviously, to his most glaring issue this season, which is just the mental side of his game. And the U.S. Open will always be the one that got away, possibly for his entire career if he never wins that one slam, because he's up two sets to love, and then he just plays like a 12-year-old who was scared of the moment in that final set. And I'm not just talking about him playing like a child. I mean, literally, stylistically... He wasn't pushing, but he certainly wasn't attacking. He was taking so much pace off the ball, and you never see pros play like that. You certainly don't see top 10 guys play like that in the biggest moments, but he was just so incredibly tight, and maybe you could argue he got better this year because he got over the hump in the slams, and he made the semis at the Australian, which he had never done before, and obviously made the finals of the US Open, which he had never done before, but... Those really feel to me more like the path opened up for him and he failed to take advantage of the maximum potential when you look at a guy like Dominic Timu instead beat him in the Australian, got to the final, beat him in the US Open, won that slam when the doors opened because the big three wasn't there. And yes, he's been playing well lately, but I'm not really all that impressed by Zverev beating up on lower-ranked guys at this point. Even if they're solid players, I think we know that he's perfectly capable of doing that because he's not going to beat himself, he'll get a bunch of balls back, he'll hold serve, and that's that. We know that. But there have been so many other questions raised about Alexander Zverev this year, including real character concerns with these domestic violence allegations. So that's the question. Where is he going? This was a potential turning point. This was a chance for him to go out there and win a slam. He didn't do it. He didn't win a Masters 1000. He didn't really do anything memorable this entire year unless it was a bad thing, unless it was a tremendous choke in a Grand Slam or if it was a potentially terrible action off the court that came to light. That is not what you want your legacy to be trending towards at 23 years old when you have been a top 10 talent for four years and you were previously higher than that and you have now gone backwards in your progression. So... As we look to what he has to gain from London, well, if he were able to make a deep run, if he were able to win, it would be his biggest title since he won at 0-2 in 2018. It would legitimize this run he's been on and say, okay, he's not just beating up on solid players. He's actually going out there and doing it against the top guys. And it could be huge for his confidence, which is already trending upwards, because I think that that U.S. Open loss was really, really crushing. I don't know how it couldn't be. It's one of the most brutal defeats that I've seen out there on the tennis court, especially because of how he went down. He didn't go down playing on his terms. He didn't go down playing aggressive. He went down playing scared. And that's detrimental to someone's psyche. And I think that it's reflective of where his mindset was at already. He was scared and he played accordingly. So at 23, that's not really where you want to be. It was a potential turning point. I think he missed it. Maybe he starts to trend in the right direction now. I'm not optimistic. I think that we've seen a couple of really concerning years from Zverev. And yes, he improved in the slams, and that's great because it was ridiculous that he hadn't performed better previously, hadn't made the quarterfinals of a slam outside of the French. He's getting better there, but he needs to get better still. And I don't know how he recovers from what was a really difficult year from him. 
Let's move on to world number six, Stefano Tsitsipas, who I think in some ways had one of the stranger and also more boring 2020s. We're going to summarize this one in three words with rinse and repeat because I think what Tsitsipas did was the same as last year in a lot of ways. His winning percentage is literally within 0.1% of what it was last year. When he was 54 and 25, this year he's currently sitting at 28 and 13. He has one title this year versus three last year, but that's in an abbreviated schedule. He won Marseille, which he had also won in 2019. And like last year, he disappointed in every slam, but won. Last year, obviously, burst onto the scene at the Australian, made the semifinals, made the fourth round of the French, which you couldn't which you could definitely argue is not a disappointment, but not an impressive run for a guy of his caliber, and then lost in the first round at Wimbledon in the U.S. Open. And this year, lost third round at the U.S. Open in the Australian and made the semis of the French. So one really nice run that you expect from a guy of his caliber, but besides that, it's eh, or it's downright disappointing. And I think that we saw that not even in the slams this year. He just had some bad losses. Seven of his losses came to someone who was ranked 30 in the world or lower. And the thing with Tsitsipas is, I talk about this with him and Zverev, but they're these big guys who obviously can serve big, but they don't blow people off the court. And so we've seen him be straight up outclassed by guys like Milos Raonic, who some days will just outplay him and beat him twice this year, or Ugo Mbert, who just had a tremendous showing, obviously, in Paris and beat him in a fantastic match. So as we look to London, last year, this was his exclamation point. This was when he really said, I've arrived. And you could argue he'd already done that because he had played at such a high level throughout that year. But there's something incredible about winning at London as young as he was, and now he has an opportunity to really remind people of that because, yes, he played well this year, and he had some nice showings, but he was completely outshined by a guy like Rublev. I think that you could argue that Zverev even had the better year than him, and he probably did. So, Tsitsipas is so talented, but what's his ceiling? Where does he go from here? He has a chance to really prove something in that conversation here in London. I want to talk about one guy who isn't actually in London because we're talking about the top nine in the world, and that is Roger Federer, because I do still want to talk about his year as brief as it was. We'll do this quickly. One miracle tournament. Those are the three words, because it was insane what he did in the Australian, and now he's 39 years old. He's coming off of another surgery, and we hope that he looks like himself when he does return to the court in 2021, but that one time he was out there, it was just mayhem. The crazy comeback versus Millman, where we saw him win in the fifth set tiebreak, the seven match points saved versus Tennis Sangren, that was just crazy. And Father Time is undefeated, they say, but Federer's making a pretty good case here, still playing it like this at 39 years old, and hopefully he continues it when he is out there again on the court in 2021. Let's move on to world number four, Daniil Medvedev who I've talked about a lot as well because he was one of my favorite guys coming into this year. The three words for him are going to be a step back. Now, I don't want to harp on this too much, but I will provide some specific statistics that sort of make the case for this. This year, he was 23 and 10. In 2019, he was 59 and 21. He won one title this year versus four last year. He was only nine and four indoors this year, and he has a chance to improve on that. He obviously just did in Paris, and he didn't win a match on clay. Daniil Medvedev should basically never lose indoors, and any player of his caliber, top five guy in the world, should not just be bowing out automatically first round because of the surface that he's playing on. And it will never favor him, I understand that, but he has to be better than that. He has to be more consistent. I've talked in great detail about the caliber of players he's lost to everyone from Riley Opelka to Gilles Simon to Vashak Pospisil, guys who he should be beating, who he has no reason to lose to, and who stylistically don't all match up favorably against him. So... Missed opportunities this year. You can look to the U.S. Open when he was commanding two different sets against Dominic Team and just let them both slip away. 
Didn't take advantage of any of the slams this year. Just a rough season from him overall. But he did just have his moment in Paris. And as we look to what he can accomplish in London, maybe he keeps that momentum going. He has the opportunity to show that he can still beat the best guys consistently and get back to what we expected him to be, which was this kind of unique wrecking ball of a top five guy consistently, which is not what he's been this season. Maybe he gets back there. He still has all the same tools. It's just about putting it together consistently. Let's move on to world number three, Dominic Team, who I did not expect to end this season ranked higher than Daniil Medvedev. As tremendously talented as he is, as much more beautiful as his game may be, and even though he was the more established of the two, coming off of what Medvedev did at the end of 2019, I was incredibly optimistic. But it was Team who outclassed him this year and is deservingly top three in the world right now. However, I do want to remind ourselves that he did not have an incredible complete season in 2020. So, the three words to summarize his year will be, he took advantage. Because, with a 22-7 and record that's really not that incredible, having not made a semi-final all year besides at the Australian Open and US Open, we will remember this year very favorably for Dominic Team Because, in the biggest moments, there he was. He got to the Australian Open final. And he obviously won the US Open. And... You could argue he could have taken more advantage than the Australian because of the level that Djokovic dipped to and he probably should have finished that match off. He didn't, but he got to a slam final when he had not been convincing anywhere outside of the French when it came to his slam resume, and he survives Varev at the very least. And then at the U.S. Open, this was the kind of chance that comes around once in a lifetime when you have, frankly, all of the best competition knocked out and all you have to do is beat a guy who looks like he's terrified to be across the net from you playing against you. He's the one who took advantage, and in this incredibly strange season, there had to be someone. Someone was going to win the 2020 US Open, and even though the two guys who ended up in the final weren't necessarily playing like that, one of them was going to win. And I think there's a reason the team came out on top. He is the best guy outside of the big three, and maybe he's better than Federer at this point. We don't really know. It depends on what he looks like when he returns to the court, but I think that he is in a different tier even though it wasn't consistent dominance, even though he had some head-scratching losses this year and some scares and slams to Alexander Bolton, the Australian, when he was down two sets to one, to Hugo Gaston at the French, which is a really strange guy to be pushed that hard by, although he is talented and he has great touch and he covers the court well. Team should kind of blow him off the court, but that wasn't the case. And then in the U.S. Open, he very easily could have just not won there. And Zverev could be a slam champion and I think it's a fascinating thought exercise to think about how different his headspace would be and how we would think of Zverev had that happened, but it didn't happen. So for team, he capitalized, he cemented his legacy as a slam champion, and at the end of the day, that might be the most important thing that anyone did on tour this entire year. Let's move on to world number two, Rafa Nadal. The three words for him will be sometimes vintage Rafa because, and I've talked about this recently, this has been an up and down year from Rafa Nadal, more so than I would say we normally see in some incredible peaks like what we had in the French Open. He played an unbelievable match today with some of the best serving I've ever seen from him, and he's been serving really well lately overall, but he was consistently getting up 126 miles an hour. He made 77% of his first serves in the first set. He was hitting unbelievable second serves. He was moving them around. He was kicking them over 100 miles an hour consistently. And he was just really impressive. And obviously his shot making at its best is a level of brilliance that probably nobody can match. So we've had some of that. We've also had some disappointment. The Schwartzman loss was completely perplexing to me, and it was one of the worst losses of his career. The fact that he lost the team at the Australian Open, an admirable guy to go down to, but still, you expect Rafa to always be there, at least in the last four when it comes to the end of a tournament. That wasn't the case. And so, it's nothing to criticize. He played really well and incredibly well for a 34-year-old, but 
We had moments of vintage Rafa, and we had others where that wasn't the case. Let's talk about the final guy here, world number one Novak Djokovic. His three words will be some confusing dominance. I've talked about these themes in great detail, how he's looked invincible at some times, how he's looked unbeatable at others, but still with these weird cracks in his game, but it's just like he always pulls it out. So his legacy this year, he started 37-0, and that is not counting the Carreño Busta disqualification as a loss because he didn't lose that match. He's currently 39-2. and It doesn't feel that way right now because of how the last couple tournaments have gone, but those are the facts of the matter. He secured his sixth year-end world number one. He won four titles. He won his eighth Australian Open. He put himself in position to break the record for weeks at number one. He's only 15 away now. Obviously, past Pete Sampson is on his way to breaking 300 and eventually breaking Fed's 310. I think that is basically inevitable. He took the record for most Masters 1000 titles. He did all these incredible things this year, but... It was so confusing, and we can track it throughout this entire year. It goes back to the Australian, when obviously such a strange match against Dominic Team, maybe the weirdest I've ever seen from him. And then it goes to once Tor came back, Cincinnati, where he lost the first set to Bautista Gut in the semifinals and then held on to win that match. He lost the first set to Milos Raonic in the finals and then held on to win that match. In the French, this is something that we won't remember from this year, but... He very nearly blew that match versus Sitsipas when he was up two sets and a break, I believe. He was completely dictating, and then all of a sudden, he took his foot off the gas in a way that we don't normally see from him and just saw his level drop off. And a testament to Sitsipas for fighting and hanging in that match, but that was weird. We don't normally see that from Djokovic. And so, as great as he was this year, there was always just kind of a feeling of unease, and I could go in and pick him against Rafa Nadal at the French Open, which was foolish, but then... When things went so south, when yes, Rafa played incredibly, but he also played poorly, it wasn't shocking. It was kind of like this was bound to happen at some point, and he's been riding high on this cliff, and eventually he's just going to sort of fall off the edge. So I don't know where he's at mentally. We talked about that in great detail a couple weeks ago. He's still the best player in the world, in my opinion. He's a deserving world number one. I honestly don't even think that's an opinion. I think that he proved that time and again this year, but it was strange. So what does he have to gain in London? obviously can reestablish his dominance after a disturbing couple of tournaments. Maybe he collapses, maybe he doesn't, maybe he shows why he's world number one. I should talk about what Rafa has to gain as well, because I didn't. I think that Rafa can maybe reignite that best player conversation outside of clay, because I think Djokovic has won their last 10 matches on hard. He's been completely dominant there. So if Rafa wants to level the playing field, he has to be able to do it outside of clay. He has a chance to possibly do that by beating Djokovic. And for team, who I also didn't talk about in this category, I think that it's a chance to say that he really belongs somewhere near the tier of Djokovic and Nadal. I think every time out there we see there is a reason we have not crowned a new king because these two are just so much better than the rest every single time. But team is the guy who obviously has the best record against them compared to everyone else on tour. He is the guy who now has a Grand Slam title, which puts him in a club with them. And if he goes out there and beats them in London, that would mean something. I really think it would, even for a 27-year-old Slam champion, if you beat these guys on the biggest stage, it really means something. Okay, so we've done the yearly recap. We've talked about what everyone has to gain. I'm going to give my predictions. So first, to get out of the round robin, I have Djokovic and Zverev out of their group. I think that even though Medvedev is obviously an incredible player on indoor hard and he just beat Zverev in Paris and he's beaten him in two of their three meetings in the time that he's really been at his peak, Zverev has been much more consistent as of late and I am just going to take him. I like his matchup there. And then Schwartzman, I don't really see as that much of a threat to come out. And then 
Out of the other round robin, I will take Rafa and team. Obviously, these guys have both already won their first match, so they are in an advantage in that respect. But I think that they're clearly the two best guys anyways. Team has gotten so much better where I really actually like him indoors because he just hits the ball with so much pace and can attack so effortlessly there. So I'm all in on him. I think that he is the second best guy in this group. And maybe Rublev makes some noise. That would be awesome. I don't really see Tsitsipas doing it, even as the reigning champ. We'll see how that progresses. Both pretty fun groups. I think Schwartzman is kind of the odd man out. And maybe you could throw Rublev into that same tier, but I don't think he belongs there considering how well he's been playing. Getting into the last four. We have Djokovic versus Team as one semifinal. Rafa versus Zverev as the other. I will take Djokovic over Team. Maybe I'm wrong to do that. Maybe Djokovic has shown some real cracks in his game lately. I just don't know what to expect from him. But when it's indoors, I will take him over anyone on the planet because that is what the record says you should do. And then Rafa versus Zverev. We obviously just saw Zverev get Rafa indoors. Maybe it happens again, but what I saw from Rafa today, I was pretty convinced by, and yes, his level has come and gone this year, not in any dramatic way, but as we talked about, it has ebbed and flowed, but I'm going to take him mentally tougher, and obviously his peak level is much, much higher than Zverev's. And then in the final, we have what we always root for, at least I do, Djokovic versus Rafa. It's the greatest rivalry in the history of the sport. These two guys are maybe not at the peaks of their powers, and in a weird way, they both had some low points this year, but Man, are they still good, and they are still a class above the rest. And it would be a nice bookend to a year that has been so confusing, we would at least have the certainty of starting with Rafa versus Djokovic like we did at the ATP Cup, and of ending with Rafa versus Djokovic, and hopefully a great match there. That's what I'm rooting for. I just want to see some great tennis. I love London so much, obviously, because we get all the best guys in the world together in this controlled environment, and we just get to see them duke it out in a way that we don't even in the slams. So I'm really excited. That's all I have for London. I do want to talk briefly about Sofia, though, because although it wasn't the biggest tournament, something significant did happen. Yannick Sinner won his first career title, beating Dimonar en route, which I just think is significant to mention because Dimonar is so good, and that is a great win, and it was a tight win, and then beating Vasek Pospisil in the finals. He's now 19-11 and 11 on the year, 19 years old, has a title, which is something that Felix Ojeali-Yassim cannot say at this point. That's not a direct shot. It's just a guy who's been around in this tier for so much longer and hasn't been able to clinch it. It really matters when you can do that. Even if it's against a guy like Pospisil, who isn't top 20 in the world or anything, although he's playing at a really high level, and I want to give him props too. Siner had his moments where you saw that he was 19. I think that he played a couple of pretty sloppy games in the second set to sort of leave the door open for Pospisil to come back because he was up a break immediately in the second, and then he compromised that, but played well in the tiebreak. Is so steady, but can also generate power so easily. An incredible returner of serve. I think that he is going to be Agassi-esque in that respect when we look at his career because we talk about the greatest returners of all time, and the modern-day guys are really just the dudes who never miss. Djokovic, Murray, Rafa, they don't miss their returns. But Agassi was going to take chances. Agassi was going to slap that ball. And I think that Sinner does a lot of that as well. He generates such pace and he attacks off of the return of serve, which I think is awesome. And I'm excited to see him continue to do. I think it's one of his great strengths. So I'm just happy to see that. It's an awesome end to the year for him. Obviously, last year he was playing in the next-gen finals. Now he's hanging with the big boys. And he's, you know, I think probably one of the 20 best players on the planet right now, which is really exciting and I'm very happy to see from him. As far as the guy we played, Vasek Pospisil, he's 16-10 and 10 this year. That's what his record's going to end at. And by win percentage, that's easily his best year ever. He made two finals. He had only made one previously in his entire career. It had been six years since he had even made a final. And this is awesome for a guy who at 30 years old 
has had such terrible injury problems previously, hasn't been able to even consistently be on tour to now play at this level. It's awesome, and it's also so fun to watch because he's so gifted, the massive serving, the serving volleying. It's just the kind of tennis you don't get from any other guys out there. So shout out the Canadians for somehow generating four guys who I would rather watch than the best American player who on their best day might be better than the best American player. Maybe I shouldn't put Pospisil there, but... I think you would argue he had a better season than just about any American, although as much as I talked about those guys early in the year, I have quieted down on them. Shout out Taylor Fritz for a great season. Shout out Tommy Paul for a really great season compared to expectations. I don't just want to be anti-American, but how are the Canadians doing better? It's cold there and they have 30 million people. It perplexes me and it will never make sense. And you know what? Maybe there should be the three words for this year. Never makes sense because that is obviously what 2020 has been. And maybe we will be looking at a rublev Schwartzman final here in a few days. And we will all be completely perplexed and we will have no idea what to make of it. And Djokovic will say that he is going to swim with the Dolphins for the next 20 years. And he retires. And maybe that's just the world that we're living in. Who knows? Stuff like that could happen. But I would like the certainty of a little Djokovic Rafa right now. And I think that it would be great for everyone. And so on that note, that will do it for us here today. Only a couple more episodes to go in this calendar year. We'll obviously do our takeaways from London, and then we will probably do a real full annual wrap-up, shout out some of my favorite guys from this season, maybe hand out some yearly awards or something like that, which I'm excited to do. But we have made it. We have survived and braved the COVID storm. Not really, but as far as getting a tennis season done, which at the very least is a nice accomplishment and something that we all needed. So that's going to do it for us here today. I've been Carson Breber. This was Down the Line. Hope you enjoyed.